Hey Changemakers, welcome to another episode of the Sacred Changemakers podcast. My name is Jane Warrillow and I have another great guest lined up for you today. But before we enjoy a deep conversation together, I want to remind you why we're here. This podcast, it's about change and transformation, but not just any old change. We believe in change for good, which lies at the intersection of three things, purpose, impact, and prosperity for all. We want to encourage you to think a little wider about your own life, from your personal and professional development, to also ask the question, how can I make a meaningful impact with my life? It's time for us to find a way to live in resonance with each other and all living things. And at Sacred Changemakers, we're here to help, to build the foundations of a more equitable, loving and resonant world. So come with us on a journey as we go behind the scenes with people who are making a real difference in our world. Sometimes we'll be interviewing changemakers and sometimes we'll be leading deep dive conversations, tackling the challenging issues of our times. But first, a word to our sponsor. Today's episode is sponsored by Coaches Business School, the world's leading business training for coaches and consultants, helping them to succeed in business so they can make a meaningful difference in our world. Go to coachesbusinessschool.com to get the tools, strategies, and frameworks you need to enjoy growing your business in a way that is profitable, predictable, and purpose-driven. And a big shout out to all of our coaches, because without them, this wouldn't be possible. Okay, guys, so our guest on the podcast this week is Laura Hartley. She's an activist, writer and coach. She runs an online school for changemakers and activists to end burnout and begin the inner work of system change and create the conditions for social healing and collective thriving. Now, today we're going to be talking about one of Laura's greatest passions, and that is helping us each take the journey from burnout to thriving, which seems so important in today's modern world. So welcome, Laura. Thank you, Jane. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, me too. I'm looking forward to diving into conversation with you. I really am. And, uh, you know, our listeners, they've just heard you know, your bio and something about you. And I'd love to get behind that for a moment and just ask you if you'd be willing to share something about the real life human that's behind that bio. Who's she? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I'm Australian. You might be able to hear that in my voice. So I'm currently based in Sydney. Uh, I'm a lover of travel. I've lived in four different countries and I'm very excited to be moving to Montreal next year. And I'm also somebody who is really fascinated with change and with healing. You know, I think these experiences are very linked to my upbringing, very linked to the work that I do now, and very influencing of how I see the world and the school that I've created. So tell me a little bit about that. I mean, you've said there something that sounds so obvious to you, like it's obvious that you're in change and healing now um, as a profession. But I just wonder, like, what is it that brought you here? Mm. So, you know, whenever I think about why I'm interested in this work or why I do uh, the work of change or healing or these kind of areas, I always think back to my childhood. So I grew up in a house that was very much surrounded with personal development and with spiritual principles. So my mother was a life coach. She actually founded a school that trained coaches 
over 30 years ago now. So very much in the early days of the life coaching profession. And so this kind of way of thinking and these types of questions and this way of being was very much uh, part of who I was and of who I have become. And then, you know, as I entered into my adolescence, I really struggled with a number of mental health problems and with depression and anxiety. And I had a number of years where I was in and out of hospital. I was, you know, very much lost, very angry at the world and, you know, really almost not feeling anything. And it wasn't until, again, I got to this certain kind of uh, critical point where I looked back on these tools that I had as a child and that I was exposed to when I was young and I called on some of them to help me find my way out. And that was in particular these kind of more spiritual principles and the tools of meditation and mindfulness and ways to connect with what I was really feeling and what I was really experiencing and to go beyond that. And so this uh, way of thinking in the personal development world, again, was very much a part of my life um, and my healing, my personal healing journey. And I became really enamored with this idea of, well, how do we make change? How do we how do we create healing on a personal level? And over time, I started to find then a disconnect with some of the really wonderful individual coaching, personal development, spiritual work, which is out there that encourages us to be owners of our own lives, to uh, create these amazing transformations and the world around us and the world that we live in. You know, a world that still has incredible amounts of injustice, that has the climate crisis, has biodiversity loss. And how do we reconcile these two areas of inner transformation and then actual outer change? So again, uh, to kind of continue this story, this activist side of me emerged that was really passionate again about change and healing, but this time on a global scale and this time on a collective level. And I started to look at how we could use some of these tools that we had from, from coaching, from inner work, from personal transformation and apply them to the outer world, apply them to the collective. And that's really what's kind of led me to this work today and to this call. I love everything you're saying. We have been on some parallel journeys, you and I, my friend. <laughs> um, and I, I mean, I won't dig into that now because, um, of course, the audience has heard some of my own healing journeys there. But just for you to understand, Laura, I was in a similar place. I was, uh, I actually had a terminal diagnosis that in 2001, uh, the orthodox medical system told me I would die by 2011. Um, they gave me 10 days, 10 years from the date of it was a medical injury, not an infection. And um, I was just spiraling. My body was just kind of deteriorating and the normal medical profession couldn't do anything about it. And so just like I'm hearing you saying, you know, bringing it's almost for me what somebody called me an edge walker actually a long time ago talking about bringing different worlds together and I heard that when you were speaking then is how like you've brought together the inner world of transformation and the outer world of change and to me that I because I know because I work in this space so powerful 
because there it to me, and I'd love to get your sense on this. Um, one of the things I now believe, I guess, is that if nothing changes on the inside, no change on the outside is ever sustainable. <laughs> What's your yes. sense of that? <laughs> Absolutely. You know, I really believe that uh, we need not just to uh, change our systems in the world and change our policies or our government, but we really need this revolution of the heart. Mm. You know, and I think it's not, you know, it's not whether the inner or the outer comes first. I think it's actually, it's almost like this figure eight where they influence mm. each other. Mm-hmm. But one without the other is never enough. You know, if we're just working on our inner selves and on our heart and on our own personal lives, but we're not looking at the wider picture, the society that we live in, at um, the world we want to create for future generations. And similarly, if we're just working on changing uh, policies or changing, you know, our next steps in government or whatever the sphere might be on the outside, but we're not doing the inner work to ground a new reality, to ground a new way of being within us, then we're missing half of the puzzle. So that that inner and outer together is absolutely important. Yeah, I totally agree. Now, you said a question uh, when you were answering that first uh, response to me, which was, you know, how do we create healing on a personal level? What did you learn about that? Because I think that that's something that's very alive at the moment in the world, given everything that we're all dealing with and trying to navigate right now with the pandemic. You know, if you've any insights that you could share, I'd love to hear them. I think that is such a good question. I think, you know, what comes to me is that healing really requires two things that come to mind. And the first is it requires truth and truth telling. You know, it requires us to be honest with ourselves and with others about what we're really feeling, what we're experiencing, what we want to communicate. We need to acknowledge what is true for us in terms of what we want to do in the world. Um, Certainly in terms of burnout, this is something that we actually look at a lot is are we actually doing work that we are called to, that feels right to us, that feels honest for us. So this idea of what is true and what is real is really important in healing. And then there's also this other element that I always love to touch on, which is, you know, sometimes we just look to heal the experiences or heal the mind or heal the stories, especially, you know, for those of us from a coaching background and things, you know, we very much look to our thoughts and we look to good questions and our stories and everything else. But there's also this element of the body in the physical body that we have. And that physical body really stores so much of our experiences, um, of our trauma, our pain, um, our stress. And there is work to do for healing at the level of the body. Mm. And so sometimes we look to just change the outer conditions. Okay, I dealt with that stressful condition. I dealt with that toxic environment that I was in. I dealt with what was causing me the pain or the problem but I haven't dealt with where I still have those experiences stored in my physicality. And so that's when we start to look at, okay, how do I reconnect with my body, reconnect with what it's telling me, know that my body again is always a place of truth, that it's always speaking the truth. And how can I start to honor it and listen to it and allow it to to find its own healing journey as well. And, you know, what you're saying there, really resonates with me because 
if I've learned anything from my own healing, it's been exactly that. That because I I I have been trained as a healer back in my early 20s, but that was like a, a system and a modality. And going beyond that, as I matured in age and was dealing with different pain elements and different issues, I've learned that it's, well, it's more about surrendering to the body because my body never lies, right? Whereas my mind can play tricks on me, but my body knows my truth. My body knows how to align and heal as well in a way that my conscious mind is not always aware of. Is that something that resonates for you, I guess I'm asking? Because I'd love to get a deeper sense from your perspective here, Laura, of like what that means for us in our healing. Because it's so easy, like you say, to pay lip service, you know, and, and I am qualified in things like NLP as well. I'm a master practitioner. But I don't know always that what we do there at that let's say that transactional level of healing to just give it some language. Cause I sometimes think we don't have the language to describe some of what we're talking about these days, that transactional level. But if we really want to go deep to the very source of the, of whatever it is that's triggering, whatever's happening that needs healing, then I feel, I don't know. It's almost like a, it's a letting go, it feels like to me. It's, it's like unlearning rather than learning. It's it's just very different. Yeah, and and sometimes allowing. I don't have the like, la- yeah, and I don't have the language always to describe healing. <laughs> I don't know how else to say it, but it's almost like I want to speak to the invisible in a way that we don't yet have good language, good words for. Does that even make sense? <laughs> It does. And I actually, I think this is in part because, you know, the body really speaks a different language. Yeah. You know, we, it doesn't speak to us through words in the same way that, you know, our thoughts or our general communication does, you know, mm. and just because we think something doesn't mean it's true, which is exactly what you were saying, but okay. our body speaks its own language and that language is feelings and sensations. Mm. You know, we, I really believe as a culture, we tend to live very neck up, you know, we're very, we're very head-based and you see it actually all throughout our language, um, usually with things like mind over matter or, you know, uh, what's the famous quote, I think therefore I am. Yeah. You know, we really <laughs> value our, our head and our thoughts and our mind and as this as the most important thing about us or the most dominant thing about us. But when we do that, we really often create this disconnect from the level of the body. And that means we're also disconnected from the body's language of feelings and sensations. So we're not going to have words for it in the same way that we we may for other things. You know, um, I love, there's this beautiful quote and I really, I wish that I could remember it all now, but it talks about the body being a multilingual being and speaking through color and temperature, the flush of recognition, the glow of love, the ash of pain, the heat of arousal, And so when we understand that this is the level that we're working with, this is the level that we need to listen, then healing is much more natural. It is much more a process of surrender. And sometimes that means we're surrendering to things that, 
you know, our body may be saying no to things that we want to say yes to. Our mind wants to say yes. We want to say yes to that project. We want to dive into this relationship or anything else, but the body is saying no. You know, it's closed, its shoulders are hunched, it feels heavy, it feels burdened, um, you know, whatever that feeling may be. And it's speaking to us. And we really need to learn to honour these feelings when they come up because it's just as valid and just as real and a far better indication of our capacity and our well-being mm. than anything to do with our thoughts or mind. Mm. And I love the way you describe that because, you know, I think it's really easy to kind of, well, not ignore, but discount the fact that, like you said right at the very beginning, we all live in a context here, a culture that has defined norms around the way that, you know, we behave and, and what we value in society and what we don't. And just listening to you there talking about, you know, the way we've put the mind on a pedestal and the way that we've almost negated the the sensations and the feelings of the body, almost as though, you know, like if I think about the workplace, there aren't many workplaces that allow those things inside the door, (laughs) never mind in conversations in, you know, between managers and their employees or whatever. So it can sometimes feel like you know, and, and I think of this as a coach, like the shoulds come in, like I shouldn't be feeling pain. I should be healthy. I should be better. But those things just kind of get in the way in my view or in my experience anyway of healing. And for my own uh, kind of, in my own journey, what I learned was this, this idea of surrender. If I hold too tightly onto a pain or something that my body's telling me, and I'm not listening and I'm not understanding the message from my body, that's when things like things like pain get a lot worse <laughs> because I contract around it. And what I've what I've learned over the years to do is to listen to my pain, to language with it, to, you know, to work with the soma in the mind-body way. But so many of us, we're not taught this. We don't come out of school knowing this. We don't come out of college knowing this. And it's so easy to just fit into the culture of I should just ignore my body I should just ignore the feelings and the sensations and just you know put a smile on my face and get on with it and I would say that's particularly alive here in America even more so than it was in my experience in in England you know it's this idea I have to be somebody that I'm not (laughs) and I don't even think it's fully conscious you know especially like I think back it really wasn't until my late 20s that I realized um, that we feel in our bodies, that like the emotions that I was experiencing, the rage I would feel, the anxiety I would feel, maybe not anxiety, anxiety is one of the easiest ones to pinpoint in our body actually, but the sadness, the love, uh, the joy, they all had corresponding physical sensations. You know, I was just that disconnected from it that I couldn't piece it together. And I think you know, that's not a conscious decision. That's just sometimes the way that we are brought up in and the world that we're brought up in. You know, it's really easy when we're looking at ourselves to negate or ignore the culture that we live in and the influence that has on us. Mm -hmm. And especially when we do a lot of individual transformation work, 
you know, we, we sometimes we put so much power and so much responsibility onto the individual, which we have, and rightly so. But we also then forget about our wider environment and the conditioning that that is providing for us. Mm. And I really believe, you know, this disconnect from the body that we have is very much mimicked in the world, you know, in our disconnect from the natural world, you know, from the environment, from the climate crisis, from the scale of crises that is happening. You know, and so as we reconnect to our bodies and we reconnect to our emotions, we reconnect to what is true for us and what is natural and what is real, then it's also this way of reconnecting to the natural world and reconnecting to um, the wider community and the experiences that we're having. You know, that's really interesting. I've not thought of it in that way, but as you were talking then, I was just realizing that if we don't honor ourselves, how can we honor? you know, the wider environment because we're Absolutely. so used to just negating things. So that makes perfect sense to me. Now, our title today is From Burnout to Thriving. And from what I've heard you say so far, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but my sense is from what you said shared so far, Laura, that the beginning of healing is probably being aware right? Awareness is probably right there somewhere at the beginning. But I want to ask you, like, is that for you where that journey from burnout to thriving begins? Or is it somewhere else? Am I missing something? Mm. That's an excellent, excellent question. I'm not sure if it's awareness. I mean, I think awareness is important, but you can be aware that there's a problem and have no willingness or no desire to change. Mm -hmm. You know, you can be aware of injustice or aware for the need for change but have no idea what to do mm -hmm. so I think it's actually coming back to this point that is a little bit beyond language I think you know where it begins is this little seed within us this spark this something that maybe cannot be named um, that really calls out to us and that cries out for a change I think it's actually very inherent to who we are you know it's I kind of refer to it as this very sacred or this very soul-oriented part of us that desires something new and desires to experience something new. And we need to have that and then we need to be willing to listen to it and willing to act on it. And I think that's kind of where the, the beginning really starts. So, and where that willingness comes in, you know, will be at different points. For some of us, that willingness doesn't come in until we hit rock bottom and we're absolutely burnt out we have got nothing left um you know it's been 20 years and i've collapsed and everything else or some of us that willingness comes in a little bit earlier you know it's not a good thing or a bad thing it's really just where it connects and where where that spark comes in so how would you define burnout Ooh. burnout is a result of chronic stress and I really like to say that because sometimes we refer to burnout colloquially or really commonly as acute stress. You know, when we're just like a little bit stressed day to day, we've got an important event on, we've got a meeting, we've got a project that's happening and we're really stressed. And it can we sometimes refer to that as, oh, yeah, I'm just really tired this week. I feel really burnt out. And that's probably not burnout. You know, that's acute stress. Um, and then what burnout is, is the result of chronic stress, really physical condition. It's not something that's just happening in our minds. It's really happening throughout our entire nervous system. 
And then burnout, of course, also happens on a spectrum. You know, it's not a one size fits all. Not everyone's burnout looks the same. Very often it starts, and certainly I've experienced this, where you're a bit stressed and overwhelmed and you're just like, it's fine. I'm just going to get through to a holiday. I'll take the two weeks vacation. And then, you know, after that, I'll come back. Not a problem. And we do that. And of course, after two weeks off, we feel pretty good again. We're less stressed. We're less tired. We're less cranky. And we go back and we do the exact same thing. And before long, we start to notice those feelings again. So, you know, the anxiety, the tension, the perhaps small fights with our friends or our family or our colleagues. And then we're like, it's okay. I'm just going to get through to the end of the year. And then, you know, I'll have Christmas, I'll have New Year's, and then 2022 will be my year. And so we come back and we do the exact same thing again until we reach that point. And all we're really doing is moving further and further or circling further and further down this spiral or down this spectrum. And so at the mild end of burnout is, you know, apathy, irritation, tension, maybe some back pain, headaches, those kind of things. But then at the severe end is collapse. You know, it's autoimmune diseases. It's um, fatigue to the level that you can't get out of bed. It's not being able to continue with your work or with your profession. It's uh, marriage breakdowns. It's a really... Uh, despondent, a really hopeless, a really burnt out place at the end. And so burnout isn't this um, easy to define experience for a lot of people, because usually we are somewhere on that spectrum. We're either at the mild end of like the apathy, irritation, or somewhere on our way to the end. And that's important to realize. Mm. And I'm going to share something personal now and I'm going to see what you make of it because it's something that's always kind of puzzled me a little. And I think it's probably because just like you say, like the experience of burnout is relative and I can definitely find myself on that trajectory somewhere between burnout and thriving at all times. (laughs) But what's interesting for me is I don't know that I've ever in my life acknowledged that I've been burnt out. I've certainly never collapsed. Oh, I say that. I've not collapsed through stress on its own. I have had other medical issues. Well, that I have collapsed once, and that was when uh, I was misdiagnosed and then ended up with that terminal diagnosis. But what I want to know is, like, if I'm all... It's almost like I see my life like a white knuckle ride. And I know you're going to get what I'm talking about here, Laura, right? And it's like I've got to hold on for dear life sometimes where I feel like I can't let go because if I let go, everything's going to fall to pieces. (laughs) And I particularly feel this being a business owner. Like there's so many plates spinning in the air that I've got to keep spinning. And it's almost like, so this is where it does make me laugh when I do my own self-coaching or my coach takes me through something and I go, okay, yeah, like I need, I know I need to let go. And that's, you know, that's in the vernacular, isn't it now where all coaches say, oh yeah, just let go and surrender. (laughs) And there's a part, there's this part of me that believes that if I did let go completely, if I did collapse, I would just die on the spot right? And it's, I know it's irrational (laughs) and I know it's there. And I know also from working with clients that it's not only me that feels this way, especially with the way the world 
has been this past few years. Like we're navigating all these tensions and all these polarities. And I think a lot of us are just holding on for dear life. You know, it's like riding a wild elephant through the jungle. We don't know where it's going to go next, but we're hanging on. So how is that different to burnout? Or is it just that I've never acknowledged that I should really just stop in between the vacations? (laughs) And the holidays. Do you know what I mean? Do you you understand what I'm asking here? Because it's a hard thing to really describe. Absolutely, Inar. I think we have this mistaken idea that resilience is endurance. And it's Mm. not. Mm -hmm. You know, resilience is a product of thriving. Right. we we do we we do white knuckle our lives a lot yeah. that is you know I see it within myself still sometimes you know <laughs> like I teach this work but I teach it because I know I'm you know, the same I'm like ah. I am not it myself yeah me too me too <laughs> but exactly like when we're just in these patterns of I've just got to get through you know I really again, I try to look to nature and I look to anything that grows in abundance or anything that grows naturally or is thriving or flourishing. And there isn't this experience of like, you know, holding on and battling it out. Right. You know, there's much more natural ease to it. There's much more grace. There's much more allowing and surrendering to a process of it. Yeah. And so I think it's really important that when we're looking to end burnout cycles. And I would say that those are burnout cycles to an extent. They're probably not sounding like they're at the extreme end, but you know, that is this kind of cycle that keeps happening or if we're getting really, really tense and really, really stressed and just holding on until we collapse and then go back in and do the same thing. That we need to change the way that we work. You know, we need to be able to step out of that. We need to look at, um, I really love the idea of actually looking to much more natural cycles. So look to mimicking, say, the seasons in our work. What would it look like if we were to really embrace listening to our body as the guide and to follow a cycle that looks something like summer with the heat of the action? Of course, we're producing, we're out there, we're um, sharing all of our work, we're really active, and then we head into the fall or the autumn and we start to reflect we start to harvest, we start to, you know, wind up some of those projects for a bit, where we head into winter, a time for rest, um, a time for regeneration, time for relaxing, a time for really allowing our body to recuperate what it needs. And then back into the spring of starting to plan, starting to come to the drawing board, starting to produce again before back into the summer. And these ideas don't have to mimic actual seasons. It's not like you need to take three months out, you know, in every winter to hibernate. But the idea of mimicking natural cycles in our work means we can kind of step out of this linear line that we often work in. You know, we treat so much of our working lives and so much of our lives as a linear line that is just broken up by the occasional holiday, the occasional vacation, and the occasional big event. You know, maybe it's a marriage, maybe it's a death, um, but otherwise kind of straight Mm -hmm. and it's not. So what if we were to instead turn our lives, turn our working patterns, turn our styles into a much more circular um, way of being? And I think that that can help us reframe resilience, reframe what strength is, and to really honour what we need and what we need um, now and in the future. So when you say a circular way of being, 
the, the first thing that hit me straight away, <laughs> so I, I'm completely outing myself here, but it was this idea that, um, oh my gosh, like I can plan for a rest. <laughs> like I don't have to be exhausted before I take time off. Like I can, I can actually, that's part of the circle. It's like the rest and recuperation and people that work with me will be laughing now because this is what I teach. <laughs> so I'm now taking my own medicine, but yeah, like I, it just, I like the idea of the circle. It yeah, makes rest before sense. you're tired as well. Like yes. I really believe this. Yes. Rest isn't something that we need to earn. It's not something that we get right. when we're produced enough. When we've, you know, we often we equate so much of our value and our worth with what we produce or what we impact or what we change or what we do. And if we're not doing enough of that, then you know there becomes these fears that creep in of you know, well, if I'm resting, what will people think? Or we start to rest and we feel anxious because we're like, I've got to get back to producing. I've got to get back to doing something. Right. This is all, you know, I call this internalized capitalism. I really think you see this all throughout our culture. It's a product of our culture. It's just a method that we've internalized that says, you know, I am worthy and I am valuable when I am producing. And we need to shift that. We really need to say, I am worthy and I am valuable regardless of whether I am producing and when I am not producing, that rest is a part of what allows me to create change in the future. Rest is a part of what allows me to do my work with ease and do it well. Yeah. yeah. To take yeah. away the, the idea of having to earn it or the idea that it is a reward is very important. Yeah. And that was so profound when you said that rest isn't something we need to earn. I'd realized that's something I've internalized. I, it's almost like I, I thought if I just stopped for no reason, then that's lazy. That's not okay. Because I realize in, in the world at large or the worlds I've lived within, you know, doing is kind of put on a pedestal and being is well kind of forgotten <laughs> in many ways. And yet as a coach, of course, I know the importance of being. But yet it's sometimes it's easy to forget when we live in this world that's all out there, it's all external and it's all driven by doing, not being. So I love that you said that because it makes perfect sense to me. Absolutely. It really does. So I believe you've answered the question, which is our title from burnout to thriving, but is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners about, you know, if they find themselves, if they start to realize or become aware of the fact that they are stressed or they're in acute or even chronic stress, you know, like if someone's listening to this and thinking, okay, that's where I am. Like what advice do you have for them, Laura? Mm. I mean, my first advice is always with anybody struggling with stress or burnout is to look to the level of the body, kind of what we were talking about before. So really looking to some somatics work, some embodiment work to reconnecting with their experiences because we don't get to burnout or stress unless we have overridden signs from our body that were, you know, really warning us along the way that burnout or collapse or was coming. You know, there were signs our body were telling us that we needed to sleep, that we needed to rest, that we needed pleasure, that we needed to find more joy. And somewhere along the way, we overrode those signals and we just have got to this point now. So we need to find a way to reconnect with the body. But also 
you know, when we're looking at burnout, the most common place we look to, and I don't say this uh, to be critical at all, but it's the wellness industry. And there's a lot of really great work there. You know, gratitude, mindfulness, meditation, I practice all of these myself. They will help 100%, but they will not end burnout. And burnout is not a wellness issue. It is a systems issue. It is a way, it is a result of the way that we're working. And so if we want to end burnout in the future, if we want to step out of burnout cycles entirely, we need to really change something, not about our work itself, not about what we're doing, but about the way that we're doing it. So really understanding the stories that we're telling about why we do what we do, really looking at the the cyclicalness or the linearness of how we're working, looking at the environment that we're working in and whether it is supportive of our whole well-being, supportive of our whole personhood, or whether it's, you know, kind of like a lot of corporate spheres, sometimes expecting us to just be walking heads. And then reassessing, okay, how can I step back? How can I really make a change that is going to contribute to my joy, to my flourishing, to my thriving, and not just endure, not just struggle, not just suffer with. You know, burnout is not a natural part of life. It doesn't have to be what we experience. And so that frame there and understanding that I think is probably the most important thing that I would like to leave people with. And that's, I think that's really important because as you started talking there, you know, and you talked about the wellbeing industry, the, f- the first thing that flashed into my mind was, gosh, they're just really focusing on individuals, right? Um, almost as though they're an island, in a way, a lot of the work, and like you say, there's some really great work there. But what I, the insight I got as you were talking, Laura, is that we live in systems within systems. So the body is a system in itself. So of course, this is a systemic approach we need to healing, because even if you just deal with one issue, like in the body that you might have, that the stress is, you know, kind of manifesting, you can't deal with that issue in isolation from other things that are going on. You have to deal with the, in my view, the whole of the body. And that's certainly been true in my experience with my own healings. And then I start to think about, well, then the wellness industry in this one individual in stress, you can't just deal with that individual as though they're an island. They live in systems, family systems, organizational systems. If they're in corporate, they have a workplace. You know, they have friend systems. They have a national culture that they live within. We're like nested inside of systems. So when you say this is a systemic issue, that makes perfect sense to me. And that yeah. to me means that, I don't know how to put words to this, but it's almost like when we work with change, we work with an individual who has the power in inverted commas to change. But what we're really talking about with systems changes, we need a we to come together. It's like beyond any individual. It's like all the stakeholders of the system need to almost come together and reimagine and redefine something different, surely. (laughs) Well, this is particularly the case in workplaces, you know, like, you know, burnout, I'm really passionate about burnout because of both my own experiences, but also the sheer volume and level that I have seen 
you know, whether that is in the activist sphere and losing really amazing activists to um, to burnout or whether it's in the corporate sphere as well, like the rate of burnout is just so wide and vast. And so we need to, exactly what you're saying, not just work on this individual level, but how we work is, is how we work together. You know, it's an incredible privilege that some of us have to be able to change the way that we work individually, to have the freedom and the luxury to do that. But many of us don't. And so we need to be looking at within our collective structures. So within our communities, within our families, within our workplaces, how are we coming together? What are the stories that we're telling about what it means to be us, about what it means to work here, about what it means to be successful, about whether success means that we are always busy, that Mm -hmm. to be productive means to be busy, to be busy means to be overwhelmed, um, and all breaking down all of these patterns and then reimagining and redefining exactly, as you said, ways of being together. Because until we do this, we will continue to use really band-aid approaches to stress, you know, or we will do better and, but, you know, our comrades or our friends or our fellow change makers will be left behind because they don't have that same privilege. Yeah. And so that's really important to be able to break down and start this work, to start at where we are in the communities that we are in. So one of the things I'm realizing is that I don't think I've ever heard anybody talk about a collective burnout. Now, it could just be that it's never been in my on my horizons, but is that a thing? Like, I've never heard an organization say that our entire, I've had a team's burnout, but I've not had whole organizations burnout or whole countries burnout or even the world burnout. And yet when I look at where we are right now with the pandemic, I could kind of say, well, we're heading in a kind of direction that's a little bit choppy. <laughs> right now as we're all trying to navigate you know this new world order that's coming in and this unseen virus this invisible virus that seems to be the the collective enemy that we're all trying to join forces against but yeah is that a thing collective burnout no I think it is a thing although I don't hear anybody speak of this topic either I'm also yet to encounter an organization that openly admits how yeah. burnt out it is. Yeah. Um, and But I really believe, exactly, you look at the world today, you look at increasing rates of stress and burnout. Um, I actually run a workshop called Burnout on a Burning Planet because, again, I think oh, so much of, yeah. you know, the experiences that we're having are mimicked in the earth. Yeah. I actually, one of the things I speak to in there is this idea of extractivism. Yes. And so we very often extract our own inner resources, which is, you know, our attention, our energy, our motivation. um, And we call in it as we want it to be available, overriding our body, overriding our body is saying we need rest, we need pleasure, we need whatever else. We're saying, no, 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 I've got to do this project. So I'm going to take my attention, I'm going to take my motivation. And what are actually, they're finite, they're renewable, but they're finite resources within us in the same way that we extract from the earth endlessly with minerals, assuming that they are just always going to be there with complete disregard for the surrounding environment. You know, there is this mimicking of how we're treating the world and the collective experiences that we're having and then how we treat ourselves. Mm. And so this piecing together 
um, isn't something that I've seen in many places. And I think that's in part because, especially for a lot of large organizations, to really acknowledge the level of burnout that exists, they would also need to look at the level of discontent that people have, the lack of purpose that people have, um, the the impact that they're having on their collective environment. And there's so much of, you know, coming back to what we were talking about at the beginning, this idea of healing needing truth-telling, that I don't think they're ready for this level of truth. And this level of truth, you know, will come and is there regardless of our willingness or our readiness to look at it. But that shift really needs to happen. And it will start with enough of us in a place starting to acknowledge the truth of our experiences Mm -hmm. and starting to acknowledge what we're doing to our bodies, what we're doing to our inner resources, and then how I might be contributing in a way to this also happening in our outer resources or in our collective or external world. Thank you for that. I, you know, as you said that there, I was just like, yes. And I'd even go a step further actually and say, this is coming, this truth-telling in business, whether the business leaders and the people in power are ready for it or not. Because I don't believe we can continue the way we have been doing. And, you know, we're starting, some early adopters now starting to talk about regenerative leadership. And this is part of that, from the individual to the collective is starting to reimagine what our roles are as business leaders and how business can be a lever for change. And so I applaud what you just said, and I'm totally 100% behind that because I do believe it's coming. So, you know, if you're a business leader, if you're a business leader and you're listening, take heed because, you know, you can only resist for so long. (laughs) Well, I think we won't. We are at this choice point in the world, right? Like, I really believe, like, this, this change is here and it's emerging. You know, this isn't just a change that we are forcing from the outside. Right. You know, it is an emergent future that yeah. is being birthed into the world. And so I completely agree that one, whether they like it or not, you know, this, this truth and this change is coming, but two, businesses and organizations can be a part of birthing this, can be a part of really redefining what yeah. a good life can be. What redefining what an amazing, impactful, profitable, purposeful company can be. You know, we can change the world. We just need to allow this much more natural, much more organic way of being to come through us. Beautifully said, Laura. So I'm just going to ask you one final question, which is, um, you know, if there's something you'd want to kind of leave our listeners with some words of wisdom maybe or something we haven't got to yet in our conversation what might it be I think firstly that we don't exist in a vacuum you know we are not separate from the environment around us and so I really believe that when we're looking to create change in the world um that we need to also look at how the systems, whether it's, you know, as we talked about before, our family systems, our government systems, our justice systems, our economic systems, how all of those systems may also be existing within me. 
So, you know, our systems don't exist outside of us. They're created by humans. They're propped up by humans. They're continued by humans. They're acted out by humans. And so when we want to dismantle them, when we want to create something new, when we want some form of change outside, then we need to look within us at how these systems are living within us. Because a lot of burnout, you know, a lot of stress is a result of these internalized ideas around what it means to be successful, what it means to be productive, what it means to be a good person or a good change maker. And then we, once we can start to examine the way that these might be showing up within us, the ways that we are overriding our body, overriding our natural instincts, the ways that we perhaps are not following what is true for us, what our callings are, where we're meant to be, that's when we can start to thrive, both individually and collectively. You know, our thriving is not something we do alone. It is only something that can happen when enough of us are together. When we have a community of well-being, we have an organization of well-being, when we are here together in love with our experiences of life and of what we are choosing to create. So I think that it's a little bit long-winded, but that's kind of what I'm hoping to leave with. Always, as we look without, always look within. And that burnout is, or resilience is not endurance, but it is thriving. That's so profound. Thank you, really. I know that I've really enjoyed our conversation today, Laura, and I know our listeners will feel inspired. And I've just got so many insights I'm taking away from this conversation. So thank you so much thank you for having me it's been a real pleasure okay guys that's all we have time for today thank you so much for listening in before we go i want to remind you that all of the resources and links for our guests are in the show notes at sacredchangemakers.com a big thank you to our sponsors coaches business school who are helping us to make a direct impact aligned with the united nations sustainable development goals all visible on our website and if you're a coach wanting to grow your impact you will need to understand how to build a business that works today so check out coaches business school's unique frameworks and methods to help you grow your business in a way that works for you and your clients and helps make a meaningful difference in our world hashtag transition team it's time to build a bridge from what you want in life to include what the world needs from you. Together, we can make a meaningful difference. Again, you can find us at sacredchangemakers.com and our sponsors at coachesbusinessschool.com. And if our episode resonated with you today, I hope you'll consider joining us. So for now, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your intention and efforts to make our world a better place. Until next time, lots of love.